decided this morning to dust off a little handout. This is not going to be, it's going to be more of a guided discussion. Uh, the handout has some questions that we can work through as uh, we look at the topic of God's holiness. I actually thought this fit really well because the last time I was able to speak to you guys uh, was in 1 Peter. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but it was the call to be holy as I am holy. And so I think this is a great spinoff of that because we can now ask, well, how is God holy? How is God holy? And um, I think it's a good follow-up and a good kind of diversion, maybe a topical diversion into that. Um, so a few things before we pour into God's holiness, certainly uh, a huge topic. Uh, one of the things that, that I want to highlight is, and uh, I promise I'm not going to professor lecture here, um, but uh, I, Wayne Grudem had a really good diagram when anytime you're talking about God's attributes, um, it's easy to kind of put them in a box. Sorry, I know you guys can't see it over there. Um, but it's easy to kind of think big picture God, and then we kind of have all these little mini attributes, like his holiness, love, um, immutability, etc. Um, but I don't think that's terribly helpful. I think because when you start to look at God as uh, different little boxes, you're really separating who God is. He is all of these things at once. And so I think it's really helpful, even though we're pulling out the aspect of God's holiness, to think of it as just taking a magnifying glass on one aspect of God's character. Uh, he is not only holy. Remember, he is holy, but that's just a part of his holiness. So Grudem drew uh, an illustration of maybe looking at intersecting lines as being more helpful. Uh, one of these lines being God's love, God's holiness, and they're interacting with each other all the time. Um, so I thought that was pretty helpful, and I think probably a good way to start as we really zero in on God's holiness, just remember we're not just separating one part of God here. Um, he is all of these at once. So um, before we jump in, I think that's good to remember. Uh, look at your, at your, on your handout, I have a quote by R.C. Sproul. A lot of this is actually from his, if you've never read his book or listened to his lectures on the holiness of God, I would say it was probably one of the most groundbreaking um, studies for me. I listened to it when I was in college, and it just completely changed the way that I viewed God. Um, and so this is actually pulled from a lot of his things. So I want to give him credit uh, for a lot of his uh, content here. But he says, how we understand the person and character of God the Father affects every aspect of our lives. It affects far more than what we normally call the religious aspect of our lives. If God is the creator of the entire universe, then it must follow that he is the Lord of the whole universe. No part of the world is outside of his lordship. That means that no part of my life must be outside of his lordship. His holy character has something to say about economics, politics, athletics, romance, everything with, with which we are involved. And I think uh, it's really important to start with that because uh, a lot of times I think you look at studies like this and you go, well, how is this relevant? Um, but I think we can all together unanimously say all of theology is relevant. Um, all of theology, the study of God, is practical. And so uh, I can think of no better thing to study. 
So let's, um, I'm going to need your help. Um, if I can get some different people looking up these verses, because we're going to do kind of a popcorn reading, I guess you could call it. Um, so kind of going through some of these verses. Uh, who will take 1 Samuel 2-2? Chris, thank you. Hosea 11-9. Thanks, Brian. Exodus 19-6. And Leviticus 19-2. Elliot, thanks. All right, so while you're turning there, I'll give you a few minutes. These are going to really, um, I think, help us to see the context defining the big picture, what is holy. I think that's what we're going to start with here is what is holy. Uh, we'll read those, um, and then let's talk about some of the definitions you guys may have heard, um, some of the definitions that are popular, and kind of contrast that with what we're hearing. So, First Samuel 2, 2. There is none holy like the Lord. For there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Thank you, uh, Hosea. I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come with terror. Thank you. Uh, Exodus 196. You shall be a, to be a kingdom, a priest, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the And Leviticus 19.2. Speak, uh, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I am the Lord your God. For I am the Lord your God. Alright, so let's, uh, let's take this question as a whole. I just want to open it up to you guys. Um, no pun intended there. What is holy? Uh, what are... What's the most common definition you've heard or learned? And um, what have you learned so far? I just remember thinking of it as being completely set apart. Set apart? Yeah. So different, we can't even completely comprehend mm. because we are not completely opposite yeah. of Yeah, good. Yeah. Set, apart is, uh, set apart is really common. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Any other definitions? Or what do you think of when you think holy? Yeah. I think back in Leviticus, or not, I don't know, consecration has something to do with holy. Consecration? Good. Yeah. yeah. Like, this is consecrated to the Lord. It was like different from the other common tools or whatever. Whatever was before. So. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I think um, set apart for a purpose mm -hmm. is uh, consecrated, and that's, yeah, perfect. Yeah. Any other definitions or common? Yeah, I think those two get at uh, probably the most common definitions of holiness. Um, I think I mentioned it last time, but if you do want to look into this a little bit more, um, there is an aspect of holiness that we can say if God is immutable, um, in other words, if he existed before creation, how did we, if he was holy before creation, how do we define his holiness as being just set apart? Obviously, there was no creation to be set apart from uh, if he existed before all of time. So holiness actually has to encompass maybe a little bit more than just being set apart. I think that's certainly an element of it. God is so other. Uh, but uh, Sinclair Ferguson, in his book Devoted to God, really unpacks this exegetically and says that God's holiness 
probably involves the Trinitarian devotion of complete, pure, utter love and devotion to each other. And then we're invited into that holiness. And so I think, again, it's not that those other definitions are wrong. I think they're very biblically correct. But I think we can actually take that an element further and say, um, if we start by defining God's character, by start by defining it based on us, in other words, like he's set apart from us, that's probably the wrong starting place. So let's look at who God is unchanging before all of time in his holiness and then bring us into it and say, yes, we are completely uh, other, completely set apart from his holiness. That's good. Um, any other thoughts on that before we jump into Isaiah 6? We're going to spend the bulk of our time in Isaiah 6. All right, so let's turn. Yeah, Matt. I was going to say, isn't there a, a moral dimension to this whole thing, too? Like yeah. He's set apart. He's also purity and righteousness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's an element of his character. Um, all the character kind of comes under the, the frame of holiness. Yeah, that's good. Purity. Yeah. Yeah. I remember a pastor at a previous church kind of saying what Matt was saying, you know, his love is a holy love, or his wrath is a holy wrath. That's mm-hmm. kind of what I think a little bit we were saying is that all encompasses yeah. each characteristic intertwines with the other. So. Yeah. yeah, that's good, really good. Perfect. Yeah, I think we're going to see that in Isaiah 6. So uh, if you haven't turned there, let's turn there. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3 pretty heavily. I'll go ahead and read this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one said to the other, or one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So, um, there's a lot that you can unpack here. But let's just uh, ask a couple questions. You, You guys may have studied this at some point. Um, so again, this is going to be more of a guided discussion, um, but uh, let's let's talk about the seraphim. Um, there's a lot of things we can say about verse 1, but I do want to highlight this first. Uh, seraphim, this is the only place in the Bible that seraphim are actually mentioned. I don't know if you know that, knew that, but um, they're only described here. There's cherubim, there's seraphim, different types of angels. The seraphim here, we get a picture, are creatures that reside in God's holiness. So their dwelling place is in the presence of the holy. And it's really interesting because we get a unique picture into what is is a creature who resides in the dwelling place of God's holiness look like? So that's really what Isaiah is unpacking here. What do these creatures look like? So let's look at the anatomy of the seraphim. Um, I'm definitely going to feel like I'm lecturing on anatomy here, so I, I'm back at home. But uh, if I start talking about humerus and femur, just stop me. And like, we're, we're not on that. <laughs> um, the anatomy of the seraphim. So uh, what, are the, what are the wings? So uh, he has six wings. 
With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. Um, what are the two extra sets of wings? God designed, if we trust that God designs everything with a purpose, we don't just slough off this person and say, oh, you know, they just had six wings. That's, you know, it's kind of weird, and then move on, right? Um, he designed them with a purpose. All of these wings had a set purpose. So because they're dwelling in the presence of the holy, uh, what is their purpose? Uh, what does it mean that they covered their face with two wings? What do you think that describes to us or thoughts on uh, the anatomy of the seraphim here? I think that's the most um, common understanding of, of that verse. Um, they're covering their face to shield from the holiness of the presence of the Lord. Um, and that makes sense with how we see characters interact with God throughout the Bible. We're going to hopefully look at that if we have time. Um, but it, it just let that sink in a little bit. Um, it's astounding that a creature that is dwelling in the presence of holy, that is sinless, mind you, an angel has to cover and shield their face from the presence of the holy. Uh, that's that's amazing. Um, here are the seraphim calling out, holy, holy, holy. Uh, what else can we learn about the anatomy of the seraphim? Yeah. Yep. Good. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, and I think that is the most common uh, take on the feet as well. Um, it is a creature. It's uh, hinting at what we talked about with holiness. Um, it's a separation. I am the creature. You are the creator. There's a separation there. There will always be a separation. We're made in God's image, sure enough, uh, but we are other. We are different. We are not God, thank thankfully. <laughs> um we are creatures, so the seraphim covered their feet uh, with their other wings. And with two, he flew. There are various interpretations on this one, uh, but uh, obviously angels, messengers, um, it, it's designed with the purpose of taking messages to and from. We don't know exactly what the seraphim do. This is the only picture we have of them, but certainly they're dwelling in God's presence and um, our messengers for him. Any other thoughts on the, the seraphim there? So I think one of the one of the big takeaways I hope that we can all just uh, gather this morning as we look at the seraphim is just uh, being amazed at these creatures who reside in God's holiness and yet have to cover themselves. Um, so let's look at uh, when other creatures, such as humans, um, interact with God's holiness, what is the response? Um, and I think this is a really interesting little kind of mini-study, but uh, there are many more sections, several more sections that actually highlight uh, when humans see the either transfiguration or presence of God, what actually happens. Um, but let's look at these four verses Again, I'm lost for help here just so we can read them pretty quickly. But really tune your ear to ask yourself when you hear these, 
what are the humans doing? What are the creatures doing when they're confronted with the holiness of God? And I think we'll be able to learn a lot from this. So um, who would take Isaiah 6, 5? Yeah, thanks. Uh, Matthew 17, 6 through 7. Laura, thanks. Um, and Acts 12, yeah. Yeah. Revelation 1, 17. Yep. All right, Isaiah 6, 5. Just listen for what, what's the human's interaction. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me. Uh, I'm undone. This is Isaiah's action. Uh, Matthew 17. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no Good. Uh, fell on their faces, terrified, fear. Acts 9, 3 through 5. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Again, um, we see fell on his face, terrified. Uh, Revelation 1, 17. When I saw him, I fell on his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I'm the first and the last. Um, in that one, we see John, and he fell on his face as though dead. So what, uh, what are some themes, or what are these interactions with God have in common? What are some things that we pull out from this? We provide everything to ourselves. Like, a moment of sobriety. Mm-hmm. I think we see that with Peter as well. Yeah. Just the self awareness that is pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah. What else? out to you. Some terror. Terror, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think, uh, you know, being overcome, uh, just for me, uh, we go about our day, you know, and um, you know, reflect on God, reflect on his character, but um, how often do I realize that I'm coming into the presence of the holy communing through Christ uh, what a privilege that is you know uh, Hebrews tells us we come boldly before the throne of grace in Christ's blood and yet you see every interaction in which these people are face to face with the creator and it is it's the picture that you get is almost reflexive it's boom on the ground <laughs> you know and it's they can't help it it's not as if they're oh I guess I better worship God now you know, it is, it is immediate. John says, I fell as though I was dead. And so when we are confronted with the Holy of Holies, what is our interaction? interaction? Well, I think, too, that there's not an ounce of pride. Mm-hmm. We're very much humble. Yeah. And we do fall down because we, we're not, um, we just can't 
Let's, let's look at the word holy here repeated, and then I've got a couple. We're actually probably going to not have time to, to get to Exodus, but just a couple application questions. Um, so I think the answer to the question, what attribute do angels describe? I think that's an easy answer. That's a Sunday school answer that you can find right in the text. So holiness. Um, the threefold repetition here is really interesting in Hebrew used to highlight something. It would be uh, when R.C. Sproul teaches this, uh, this always stood out to me, but he said, you know, if we were to say that God was holy, that would be incredible. Um, in the text here, if it was holy, holy, that would be like putting it in bold, but it is holy, 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 threefold repetition to the point that it, it would be like, we have nothing in the English language that could rival. It would be like putting underlines, bold, italics, making it 35 font. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is, it is the accentuating factor of God. And again, we say all these other character attributes probably fall under what we call holiness, what we term holiness here. And the angels are singing this. Um, the other thing I just want to point out to you is the word Lord here. Uh, if you look in your translations, 
many of you will uh, have, probably all of you, um, will have capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D for Lord there. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this in your Old Testament, but that's different from capital O, or capital L and lowercase O-R-D, which you can see the contrast in verse 1. Uh, in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord, lowercase, and then there's Lord, uppercase. Uh, these are two different Hebrew words used for Lord. Uh, the first one in verse 1 is Adonai. It is a Jewish word that was used more commonly. They, re- re- they kind of viewed it as less holy. Um, not that, that God was any less holy, but they used it as a way to describe his sovereignty. And so Adonai was sovereign ruler. That's kind of what you can uh, boil it down to, sovereign ruler. Uh, Lord, in all capital, anytime you see that in your Old Testament, is going to be Yahweh. Yahweh, uh, towards the end of Jewish tradition, uh, they actually stopped even uttering the name Yahweh uh, because they were so fearful of the name. Um, it, was, it was a term of utter and complete holiness. And so as you see that in your text here, um, just a helpful tool, I guess, tip, um, to pull that out and uh, just realize this is how they're describing God's otherness. Uh, Yahweh. And uh, if you want, we don't have time to turn there, but if you want to see a prime illustration of this, Psalm 110, um, Lord says to my Lord, um, that's Adonai says to my Yahweh. Uh, Both are used in the same verse, and it's actually the most referred to Psalms uh, that Christ uses to refer to himself, um, Psalm 110. So really good study there, if you want to dig into that a little bit more. Um, but let me let me open it up a little bit for some application. Again, I apologize if some of this is jumbled. Um, just kind of put this together in a couple minutes. But um, <laughs> so, how how is a biblical look at God's holiness contrasted with perhaps how our culture, or maybe not this church, uh, but maybe many churches, view God? Um, how is it sobering? How is it helpful? Uh, I just want to open it up to a little bit of discussion here. Um, how is a fresh look at God's holiness in the Bible? What does that teach us? What does it inform us? Thoughts? character yeah I think uh, it's easy to fall into um, our view of God being what can God do for me um, like how can God answer my prayers things like that but it kind of helps shift the perspective of it's no <laughs> what can how can I further his kingdom how can you know, he is God he's glorified yeah. um, and it's not 
that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I forget who said it, but um, someone along those lines said, we need to remember that history is his story. Uh, we are a player in his story. He is not a side player in my story. Um, so that's really good. taking a minute to reflect this is really helpful yeah. Yeah. yeah I think it you know just highlights that a fear of God or a reverence for God is a a very appropriate and right response to his holiness mm-hmm. and the world would be like fear of God like no why would you be afraid but you know I, I think the Bible teaches that that is the right response yeah that's good yeah, that's actually um, the next few verses in First Peter. He really unpacks that. We were talking about it last night, actually, over oh, the picnic. Of, um, just the fear of the Lord is so many things. It's the beginning of wisdom. Um, it, is, uh, it is helpful. And it's different than our culture would think, the fear of the Lord. Yeah. If we uh, come back to the total devotional, loving devotional definition that Ferguson gives of holiness. God's holiness brings the cross to life because we see just what it takes and just how much God the Father loves his own. So we have this character of holiness. We have a total devotional definition and that gets applied to us through his son. God's holiness just it really does set the cross apart even mm-hmm. and define the cross in such a way that it just drives us to our knees to know that we are counted as his own. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That almost like builds, if you will, like the cup of holiness overflows into like the cup of holiness overflows into how desperately wicked we are so like the property of man our feelings towards God grows and that pours into the fear of the Lord. I mean, I have the order right, but as it keeps training out then like the love of God to somebody who's that holy, loving somebody that wicked then the righteous propitiation for our sins it just keeps flowing out and so that train like, doesn't end and like I kind of saying in grid, um yeah, if you can look at it, it's like one aspect. Like it was the wrath of God that slayed Korah and opened up the ground and swallowed people, but at the exact same time, like it was the great love for his people that he's doing it. And the holiness, for their sake, of their purity to like lead them into you know, the promised land. I mean, it was all at one time. So it's just the one that stood out to me about his holiness is the unworthiness of why we even get to see this. Yeah. The fact that this is even granted to us in the word is just like hugely wait wait for Yeah. And that's good. And uh, for the sake of time I'm gonna wrap it up, but um, I think as we end on those notes, uh, let us drive this to the gospel. Let it let it drive us to Christ. 
because if you stop at just his holiness without the gospel, then uh, you're like Martin Luther before conversion, mm -hmm. trying to climb up the stairs to get there. Uh, we need Christ desperately, brothers and sisters. And how great a Savior we have that he purchased this to make us holy, and one day we'll be in the Lord's presence, shouting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Uh, let me end this in prayer, and then I'll let you go. Lord, we are creatures. You're the creator. We are putty. You're the molder. You are holy. We are unholy. Lord, we try to steal your glory. It's only rightfully yours. And yet we fall on our faces before you this morning as redeemed people by the blood of Christ, by his holiness, by his perfection, we are saved. And what a great gospel this is, Lord. Thank you that as we look into your holiness and fall before you, that we can rest in the objective fact that Christ came, he suffered, he died, and he rose again on behalf of all who believe in him. Let this encourage us. Thank you for this time that we had to look into your word, and I just pray that um, as we grow in holiness, we would grow in a greater appreciation and understanding of our Savior. To his glory and his name be all the praise. We pray in his name. Amen.